Well, the title of this sermon is Our Sin and the Righteousness and Grace of God. As we heard from Tim last week in his sermon, the God in our text last week is the God of wrath and grace. And let me just quickly remind us of what Tim was um, exhorting us. This is not a negative, positive statement. Wrath and grace is not a negative, positive statement. It is a statement that is both positive, positive. We saw Isaiah encounter God's holiness in chapter 6. The seraphim called out to one another in a constant refrain, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The holiness of God means that he is separate. And the wrath of God is holy and just. Dr. Wayne Grudem says that wrath is an attribute of God and that it is the doctrine that God intensely hates all sin. In our text this morning, the wrath of God is expressed toward or in punishment. The wrath of God towards sin is, is expressed in punishment. We see this word punishment in verse 3 and also in verse 12. But God is not only the God of wrath, he's also the God of grace. He's also the, the God of mercy. He's also the God of steadfast love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I praise you this morning for your wonderful word. I praise you for the account that you have recorded for us over these thousands of years that we may learn from your word. Father, I do confess this morning of my shortcomings, my lack of ability of understanding your word, my lack of ability to communicate clearly. I confess to you my weakness and my pride at the same time. And I do, I cry out for your help this morning. And with confidence, help me to preach with the power of the Holy Spirit. But Father, I also want to confess as a church that we can readily not see ourselves in this text. We can look with pride and arrogance and say, we have nothing in common with the Assyrians and the godless nation of Israel. So we need the help of the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts, to help us see the sin of pride and arrogance that are still in our hearts. Help us to place ourselves in this text where appropriate and help us to see your grace that transforms us to build us and encourage us where your word leads. 
Father, I do pray that you would now open our hearts and our minds and our souls to your word. Grant us the gift of illumination. Help us to see and understand your word that we may rightly comprehend its intended effect, that we can be changed for your glory and for our good and for Jesus, our Savior. In his, his name I pray, amen, amen. Well, as a child, when your mama called you by your full entire name, usually that means that you have done something foolish, right? When Melinda says, Toshi Alonzo Bowman, it means that he's probably fooling around and not eating his food. For those of you who grew up in an old-fashioned home, in a traditional home, if your mama called you by your full name, that means you had been probably acting like a fool, and spanking is to be expected, right? For those of you who grew up going to a Catholic school during the elementary years, you probably experience this, but if you act a fool in class in, in a Catholic school, the teacher would have you stick out your hand or your hands and she would or he would smack you with a ruler. That's by experience. <laughs> but if a teacher takes that, that smacking, that discipline further to hurting a child, then that teacher would be held accountable. In a very similar way, that is what we see in our text this morning. Here's what I believe is the main burden of the text. There's, chapter 10 is a long, long text, and Josiah did a great job reading that for us. But if you distill all of that into a short sentence, I believe this is the burden of the text. It is this, God must punish sin because he is righteous, because he is just, because he is holy. But he gives hope in Jesus Christ to those who trust in him. That brief summary should be found in our text. But don't take my word for it. Be a good Berean and search it for yourselves. But for the purpose of the sermon this morning, after 20 hours plus of studying, reading, praying, that's what I came up with. That's how we'll proceed. Here's some background information. The nation of Judah had become a godless nation. They had become the people of God's wrath. We see that in verse 6. Warren Wiersbe, a theologian and a pastor, said of Israel, Israel was being led by false prophets and foolish leaders, and the nation would not listen to God's word. 
Many in Israel had accumulated wealth and power, but they had done that through the oppression of the poor, the widow, and the orphans. We see that in verses 1 and 2. Josiah didn't read that part, but that's the background. That's the context. And because God is holy and righteous and just, God will judge his people with punishment and discipline. The instrument of judgment was the Assyrian powerful army. Assyria is God's rod of his anger. We see that in verse five, the nature of God's judgment, get this church, the nature of his judgment to his people is discipline. It's not punishment. There's, there are two different, those are two different things. Punishment is bad. Discipline is good. The nature of God's judgment on his people is not punishment. It's discipline. When viewed in light of Hebrews 12, as Tim took us last week to Hebrews 12, discipline is a good thing, isn't it? But Assyria had in mind to destroy completely God's people, just like they destroyed the other nations. Actually, the king of Assyria gives us a list of, of nations that they have destroyed, and they plan to do the same thing. And because of their pride and arrogance, God will judge them through punishment because he's holy. That's the introduction of the sermon. Let's dive into the sermon itself. There are three observations that I want us to see in verses 5 through 34. First, God's punishment for, for the sin of pride and arrogance. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. He says, ah, Assyria, or woe, Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godly nation, I send him. Against a godless nation, Israel, I send you, king of Assyria, I send you, Assyrians. And against the people of my wrath, I command you, Assyria, to take the spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. See, Israel had become a prideful and arrogant nation. Again, we see this in chapter 9, verse 9. If you look back, Tim preached on that, on that section. Therefore, God used Assyria as the rod of his anger. Now, for us today, the language of the rod should really bring to mind, it should evoke some memories of the teaching that is found in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 13, and Proverbs 22, verse 15. It says this in Proverbs 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it from him. Some other translation says that the rod of discipline will drive that foolishness out of that child's heart. Now, I want to be very clear to you, church. I'm not advocating spanking 
with a rod in the disciplined correction of a child. Sometimes a loving and firm encouragement can teach a child and drive out the foolishness of his or her heart. But for sinful Israel, the nation that had become a godless nation, the people of God's wrath, God used the Assyrians as a rod of discipline. Today, as children of God, as the church of God, as a body of believers, he doesn't punish us, but he disciplines us for our good. You see that, church. So let me ask you this. What is God using in your life as a rod of discipline for your good? Let me restate that in another way. What is your Assyria? What is the rod of discipline that God is using in your life? Is, is it conflict in your marriage because of your pride? Pride can manifest itself in different ways. Pride can become a desire to be controlling. Pride can be uh, a sense of having an entitlement mindset. I deserve this. Pride can be a demand for respect. Therefore, it's bringing conflict to your marriage. Is the rod in your life, the stripe in your relationship with your children because of your lack of care and discipline for them? Is it financial hardship because of your lack of faithful financial stewardship? Is it setbacks after setbacks because of your lack of trust in God? Now, please hear me clearly. Biblically speaking, not all illnesses or sickness or adversities of life are consequences to your sin of commission and omission. Please hear me clearly. But God does use the hardships of our life, the adversities of our lives to purify us, to draw us closer to himself, to make us more dependent on him, to make us more like Jesus. In fact, this is what he was doing with the nation of Israel. You see, after Assyria brings death and destruction, there will be a remnant that will return to the Lord. And we'll see this a little bit later. What God is doing when he's disciplining his people, the nation of Israel, is, is that he is purifying a people for himself. That is the effect of his discipline for us. He's purifying us. That's a good thing. Embrace it. It's not easy. It's often painful, but it's a good thing because he's drawing us closer. He is blessing us through the adversities by becoming more like Christ. Look with me at verse seven. But he, 
It's easy to get lost in this translation, but, but he's referring to the Assyrian king or the Assyrians, but he does not so intend and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. And so Isaiah is prophesying that the, the king of Assyria has different intentions than God's intention. God's intention is to discipline his people. The king of Assyria's intention is to destroy all of God's people, just like they did with Calno and Carchemish and those other places. But the Assyrians did not intend to only discipline the nation of Israel. In their pride and arrogance, they had in mind to kill and destroy Israel, just like they did Hamath, like Arpad, like Samaria, like Damascus, Judah, and Israel, and Jerusalem will be destroyed. What's the take home from that? How do we, how do we get encouragement from that? What Assyria intended to do with the people of Israel, which was to destroy it, God did not intend for that. For Satan, what he intends for the hardship in your marriage to end in a divorce, but for God, he intends to use your hardships to wake you up out of a spirit of slumber, out of a spirit of indifference toward your spouse. Amen. For God, he convicts us of our, of our sin of pride and leads us to repentance and humility if we don't harden our hearts toward God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And church, when we obey the word of God, Repentance leads to reconciliation. Reconciliation leads to restoration. And restoration leads to peace and harmony in the marriage. Trinity, don't waste your hardships in your marriage. Use it as a leverage to grow so that your marriage can become a more faithful reflection of Christ and his bride. For Satan, he intends for the strife within your family to fracture the family that God has given you. For God, he can use the strife to convict you of your sin that leads you to humility and that leads you to ask for forgiveness or to extend forgiveness. When we do this as families in Trinity, that is when we will experience joy happiness, unity, harmony, and peace in our homes. For Satan, your financial setbacks, he means for you to lose your faith in God, but God uses those hardships in your financial setbacks to help you lean on him more, to trust in him and not in the God of money. 
For Satan, he intends for the prodigal sons and daughters to make you doubt of God's goodness in your life. But for God, he is the only one who can bring home the prodigal sons and daughters. For God is the one who searches for the lost coin. For God is the one who leaves the 99 and seeks for the one who is lost. For God, he is the God of redemption. He is the God of restoration. He is the God of reconciliation. If you are an unbeliever this morning, then you are separated from God. Satan can use the ease and comfort of your life to lead you further and further away from your need of God. But God can use your hardships in your life to help you see a greater need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, here's the truth, unbeliever. The wages of your sin is death. And I'm not only speaking of physical death, but I'm also speaking of spiritual death. Your sin will cast you where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Well, you will ultimately be separated from God and all that is good and holy. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he came to pay for the wages of your sin. He died on the cross in your place to earn the forgiveness for your sin. Accept this free gift of forgiveness and you will be reconciled to God. Look with me at verse 12 and following. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem... He will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding. What, What Isaiah is telling us is that when God accomplishes his redeeming, his purifying purposes in his discipline of Israel, he will punish the Assyrians because of their pride and arrogance. Let me put it in a short way. The destroyer will be destroyed. Now, allow me to be frank with you, church. When we read verses 12 and 13, aren't we more inclined to think that we are far from being like the Assyrians? The fact of the matter is, is that we are more like them than we even dare to think or confess. Just because we are in Christ Jesus, just because we are the part of the body of Christ, doesn't mean that we don't have the sin of pride and arrogance. Morton T. Kelsey once said this about the church. The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Listen, though positionally we are saints, we are righteous because of Christ's righteousness. Functionally, we are still sinners. 
We still have this sickness of sin, and I am grateful that we have a God who can heal and is healing us. Not one of us is perfect. We all have our own shortcomings. And so to help us examine our hearts, let's just rhetorically answer these questions. How have we been arrogant in our speech lately? Have we had a boastful attitude in our hearts? How many times have we said, I did this with my own strength? How, do we, how many times do we ascribe glory to ourselves by saying, I have accomplished this because of my wisdom and my understanding? Have you ever said, oh, I would never do what they just did? Right. Have you ever said, oh, I would never say what they just said? Oh, God help us. Have you ever judged someone by saying, oh, they're beyond the saving grace of God? God help us. So if you have been prideful and arrogant in any way, now is never too early and it's never too late to repent. The word of God warns us that pride comes before the fall. Listen, if God used you to accomplish something great, then ascribe glory and praise to him. If, if God has given you extraordinary gifts and talents and it has brought prosperity to you and to your family and to those around you, um, even in your workplace, then praise God for it because he has used you as an instrument in his hand. If God has used you to help other people reconcile, then praise him for it because he was only using you as an instrument in his redeeming hands. For Christ followers, I thank God that he disciplines us when we go astray, but he will never punish us. Here's the difference between punishment and discipline. For those who profess their faith in Christ and put their trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross will never have to taste and experience God's just punishment for our sin. Here's why. Because Jesus is the one who took on our punishment in our place. That's the good news of God's saving grace. Therefore, we will never experience and taste the punishment of God. Discipline is a good thing. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Use it as a leverage to grow more like Christ. Look with me at verses 16 through 19. Therefore, the Lord of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory, a burning will be kindled like the, the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars, Assyria's thorns, Assyria's king's thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. 
Because of a serious pride and arrogance, the Lord, the light of Israel, the Holy One will burn down Assyria in his judgment, in his punishment. Now here's the grace of God right here. How do we think about Assyria's judgment and punishment in terms of God's grace? I want to submit to you that his grace is shown in his sovereignty. Let me explain that. God is in control of everything. How should this encourage us today? Well, the God of heaven and earth will not allow you to have a debilitating disease longer than he wants you to be in that situation. Do you see that? The grace of God in the doctrine of sovereignty. He is in control of everything. If you are suffering, he is not going to allow you to suffer longer than he plans. Church, he's sovereign over your suffering. There's a purpose, a redeeming purpose in your suffering. View it, if you're a child of God, as God's grace through discipline. It's to purify us. It's a good thing. We talked about the pruning of branches so that we can bear fruit. Pruning is never really pleasant, but it will lead us to bear more fruit. Because of a serious pride and arrogance, the Lord, the light of Israel, will burn or cut down Assyria. In his sovereignty, he is in control. If he can stop the great nation of Assyria, then he can destroy every cancer cell in your body. God will not allow you to to be strained in your relationship to go any further than he allows. God will not always leave you helpless longer than he intends. God will not allow evil to cause havoc in your family longer than he plans. God will not allow you to be trapped in a failing body longer than he wills. He's able to supernaturally heal you, and if he doesn't, he will give you a glorified body. You see, church, cancer Financial setbacks, relational strain, confusion, physical limitations, and whatever you can put in that blank does not define you, church. God defines your destiny. And God is causing all things to work together for good for those who love him and for those whom he called for his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Because God is holy and righteous and just, he must punish the sin of pride and arrogance. That's what we saw in verses 5 through 19. Next, we'll see God's grace by giving hope to those who trust in him. Verses 20 through 27. Think back with me in chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the account of Syria and, and Ephraim threatening to attack Jerusalem. And instead of trusting God and his divine power for protection, King Ahaz 
placed his trust, and therefore the nation's trust, in Assyria and their foreign power for protection. You with me? Syria and Ephraim are threatening to attack Jerusalem, which is in Judah. King Ahaz, the leader of Judah and Jerusalem, made a pact with Assyria, a greater, more powerful nation, to attack the two smaller nations that are threatening to attack them. That's what's happening here. He made a pact with Assyria, that, and the agreement was for Assyria to attack Syria and Ephraim in exchange for silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and also in the treasures, treasuries of the house of the king. Here's a short summary. Instead of God's people leaning and trusting in God for his divine protection, God's people leaned on Assyria. It's not a good thing. Let me put it another way. God's people trusted in man's power rather than God's power. What's the result? Well, we know if you read further, Assyria would eventually turn against Jerusalem and destroy it, but not completely. There will be a remnant who will be purified. Look with me at verses 20 and following. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them. That's Assyria. That's the king of Assyria that they leaned on, who turned around and attacked Israel, but will lean on the Lord. Who is this doing? The remnant, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return. The remnant of Jacob, which is just another name for Israel, the people of God. They will return to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. How do we process those few verses? How do we find grace to encourage us? Well, here is the faithfulness and grace of God that gives the Israelites hope. You see, in Isaiah envisioned that one day through Assyria, the godless nation of Israel will be destroyed, but God will save a few called the remnant. See, the order of destruction of the godless nation of Israel has been given by God himself, and it will be carried out. And this nation will be washed off with righteousness. That's what 22 part B says. Destruction is decreed. God has ordered destruction for the nation of Israel because they have become a godless nation, a people of his wrath. And it says overflowing with righteousness. What does it mean? Well, it means that God is going to wash them off with righteousness. He is purifying a sinful nation through judgment. This godless nation will be rinsed off with righteousness. It's, it's kind of like your bathroom at home, right? You have tile, most of you do. 
and then eventually the, your grout lines will have black mildew stains on it, and then you spray uh, your, your tile with a powerful spray, and then you rinse it off, and then these, these ugly stained grout lines become white again. That's essentially what's going on here when he's saying his, his righteousness is overflowing in the midst of destruction. He is purifying a people. Amen. Isaiah says, this remnant will return to the Lord. Isaiah is saying, there's this remnant from a nation who had become godless will return to the Lord. Notice that he didn't say this remnant will return to the promised land. No, Isaiah specifically said this remnant will return to the mighty God. No longer will they lean on a foreign nation, but will lean on the Lord. No longer will they put their trust in human power, but on divine power. Trinity, what are you leaning on today? What are you trusting in today? Perhaps you're trusting, or perhaps you're not trusting in something else for your salvation, but you're trusting in something else for your personal happiness. What are you leaning on this morning? What are you trusting in this morning that's outside of who God is and what he is? Maybe you're leaning on and counting on doctors and medicines to heal you. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Trust in the Lord. And he may use doctors and medicines to heal you, but your ultimate trust must be in the Lord. Perhaps you're trusting in the God of money to get you passed through this lean season. Trust in the Lord who can provide for everything that you need. Perhaps you, you have familial or work relationships that are estranged and, and you are just beside yourself in knowing how to reconcile this relationship. Trust in the Lord who is the God of restoration, the God of reconciliation. Perhaps you're placing your trust in a better government for the assurance of your future. Place your trust in God who is the God of assurance. To the unmarrieds, don't lean on your, your don't, don't put your trust in a future spouse for your personal happiness. Trust in the Lord who will give you true happiness. Don't lean on your own abilities your, your, to, to, to pass difficult classes, students but lean on the Lord who can give you the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to pass difficult classes. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to ask for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And he gives it with no reproach. For the unbelievers in this room, nothing you can put your full trust in can 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 save you from God's wrath. There's nothing that you can full put your trust in for your salvation. Morality and good works cannot save you from the coming wrath of God, but God can save you from his just wrath. He provided a way. His beloved son, Jesus Christ, he is the savior of God's people, and he has come to save you. What glorious news of the gospel, unbeliever. Lean on Jesus. 
trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And I know that your sins are many, but his love is greater and his forgiveness is more. Look with me at verses 24 and following. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. Let me rephrase that and apply it to us today. O Trinity who dwell in Titusville, be not afraid of the adversities in your life when it comes to threaten your health, your family, your situation. For in a very little while, he will put an end to that. He will. Verse 25, for in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction and the Lord of, of hosts will wield against them a whip against the Assyrians. And when he struck, as when he struck Median at the rock of Oreb, as his staff will be over the sea and he will lift, lift it as he, he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. And so let's put ourselves in that time of this writing. How did the people of God receive hope from Isaiah's ministry? One way that they did this is, is they listened to the word of God as Isaiah prophesied over them. It was for them to, to listen to not fear for when the prideful and arrogant nation of Assyria strikes them with the staff and the rod of the Lord's anger, this anger of the Lord will eventually abate. It will turn against the destroyer, the rod of the Lord's anger. So there's hope. There's hope. It's not complete annihilation. It's not punishment. It's discipline. It's purifying discipline. The Lord of hosts will defeat the Assyrians just like he did when Gideon and his 300 men defeated the Midianites and Oreb at the Rock of Oreb. Do you remember the account of Gideon and his 300 men? There were tens and thousands of Gideon's men and, and, and Gideon said, if you're afraid, go home. And 22,000 left and went home. Then there was 10,000 left. And the Lord whittled it down to 300. Do you know why the Lord did that? 300 men and Gideon cannot defeat the numerous powerful Midianites. There is no way on earth they could defeat the Midianite armies and kill Oreb. God did that so that Israel cannot take credit for the victory. It was God who defeated the Midianites. And it's the same thing with the Egyptians. The Egyptians were helpless when they were fleeing from the Egyptian army. It was God that, that took the, the, the sea, uh, the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea, and placed it over the Egyptian armies. Victory 
was of the Lord. You see, if you were an Israelite back then, if you were a part of God's people, when you heard the account of the Midianite army and, and the Egyptian victory, you would have remembered that there will be victory over the Assyrians because of that. That's the hope that God has given them. Our hope is that we see that God is powerful and he's faithful. Trinity, let me ask you this. How does your view of God give you hope? Do you view him as a small God or a mighty God? Do you view him as someone who is mighty and powerful to save you from your present circumstances? He is mighty to save, church. He's worthy of our praise. I'll wrap this up. We'll be done in a few minutes. God is righteous. He must punish the sin of pride and arrogance. But if we trust in him, we can have hope in the Lord. And lastly, we can have assurance for the future in the Lord because of his power and faithfulness. Look with me at verses 28 through 32. He has come to Ayath, he being the king of Israel, or the, not king of Israel, but the king of Assyria, or the Assyrians. Okay, this is he. He's, he has come to Ayath. He has passed through Migron. At Michmash, he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. At Geba, they lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gebeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galim. Give attention to Elisha. O poor Anathoth. Medmina is in flight. The inhabitants of Gebim flee for safety. This very day, he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of daughter of Zion the hill of Jerusalem. Scholars call this a visionary image of a serious attack. This image, if you will, or Isaiah's prophecy describes Assyria advancing from the north and they're moving southward. They're going from Ayath to Migron to Michmash to, to Ramah and eventually to the precipice of this hill, Mount Zion, that overlooks Jerusalem. It's a movement of the Assyrian army going to attack. Now, for us, this might be a prophecy or a visionary image of Isaiah, but the threat is real. It's real. How does the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, give assurance to the nation of Israel? By his power and faithfulness. Listen to verses 33 and 34. Again, this is in light of the powerful nation of Assyria. Its intended um, work was to destroy the people of God. But God says this, behold, or look, 
The Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down or the great in height will be cut down and the lofty or the prideful will be brought low or will be brought to humility. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an ax and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. You see, here's the picture that we're supposed to see, church. He will cut off the powerful nation with a great and terrifying power. He will cut down the Assyrian army. The prideful and the arrogant will be chopped down in two and will be humbled. The Assyrians, the axe that the Lord used to discipline the godless nation of Israel will itself be cut down with an axe by the majestic one. It's like the majestic redwood trees in the forest. They will be cut down. Church, how should this encourage us? How should this give us hope and encouragement and assurance in our situation, in our day? Let me submit to you, this is how. Even though cancer is ravaging your body and threatening to take your life, God is able to completely destroy it and he's able to completely heal you. If cancer defeats your earthly body, God is not defeated because by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been healed and a glorified body awaits you, church. Even though your bills are mounting up and it's threatening to put you into greater and greater debt, God is powerful enough and he is faithful to put an end to that debt and provide for you. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. You may never, ever get out of debt financially, but here's the gospel truth. Your debt has been paid for in full. Even though your company's threatening layoffs, massive layoffs, the Lord is able to provide you with another job. Trust in him. Lean on him. Even though your son or your daughter have walked away from their faith and they're no longer walking with the Lord, God, the God of the prodigal son, the God of the prodigal daughter can bring them back. He's the only one that is able. In conclusion, church, in the midst of the cutting down of the godless nation and of Israel and of even the evil nation of Assyria, there will be a remnant Listen, the judgment in Isaiah is often described as the cutting down of trees. And we'll see in the next chapter, in chapter 11, Isaiah prophesies that there will be a shoot that will grow from the stump of Jesse. Stump, meaning these trees have been cut down. And this shoot will become a righteous branch that will bear fruit. And as we look back to the cross, this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who brought blessings to all nations. Church, God is worthy of our trust. Worship team, will you please join me at the platform? Would you stand with me, church, and let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning that addresses us strongly.